Welcome to MS Master's Toolbox. In this series, Dr. Vito Arena and Dr. Ilya Kister from the New York University Grossman School of Medicine Comprehensive MS Care Center discuss tools for managing multiple sclerosis symptoms. These gems are guided by research and intended to improve quality of life for people with MS. In this episode, Dr. Arena presents tools for balance, gait, and mobility, one of the most challenging aspects of MS. Hello everyone, and welcome back to our MS Toolbox series. My name is Vito Arena, and along with Dr. Kister, I'm happy to bring you the next installment in our series of out-of-the-box approaches to symptom management in MS. Today we will be talking about balance, gait, and mobility a crucial aspect of MS disease course and symptoms that are ever-present on the minds of patients and clinicians alike. Older natural history studies report 50% of persons with MS need help walking within 15 years of disease onset. This is compared to more recent studies that show longer median time to cane ranging from 15 to 32 years, perhaps owing to changes in diagnostic criteria, earlier treatment, more efficacious DMTs, or improved general health of the population. An online survey of more than 1,000 persons with MS and their care partners found 41% of patients reported difficulty walking, while 70% said it was the most challenging aspect of having MS. Imbalance and gait dysfunction in MS is multifactorial. It's due to increased tone, stiffness, spasticity, weakness, both apparent weakness and fatigable weakness, numbness and proprioception loss, cerebellar dysfunction, vestibular dysfunction, visual acuity, eye movement dysfunction, cognitive impairment, and all of this adds up to impaired gait having an increased physical and cognitive energy cost for patients. And walking no long, is no longer automatic for patients and has been equated to a marionette where walking requires patients to actively quote-unquote pull the strings to walk. There is a significant cost associated with these symptoms. Impaired gait mobility affects patients' ability to work, their social participation, their quality of life, their independence, and their healthcare resource utilization. In one observational study, only 34% of patients with MS with difficulty walking were employed. And in fact, walking speed per se, measured by the time 25-foot walk test, is associated with important clinical and socioeconomic milestones, with progressively worsening times associated with change in occupation, occupational disability, collecting social security, use of assist devices, and difficulty completing instrumental activities of daily living. And a significant percent of care partners experience decre decreased quality of life and socioeconomic status associated with caring for a person with MS with difficulty walking. And the psychosocial impact cannot be understated. Persons with MS often experience difficulties adapting to the changing and progressive nature of mobility loss. Self-perception and concerns about external perception of disability and use of mobility aids is hugely impactful. And patients often feel a sense of stigma attached to their disability. This was demonstrated in a 2008 National MS Society survey where 45% of MS patients reported they are or would be too embarrassed to use their assist device, while 36% reported they do not use their assist device as much as they should. Balance dysfunction in MS is related to decreased ability to maintain position and delayed responses to postural displacements and perturbations, which translates into decreased ability to catch oneself from falling. 
and functional balance is affected by impaired dual task integration because, in many real-life situations, balance is required while performing another motor or cognitive task, and these issues relate to the ever-present concern of falls. A survey of over 1,000 persons with MS aged 45 to 90 years old found that 52.2% had experienced a fall in the past six months. And factors associated with an increased risk of falling include being male, having a fear of falling, deteriorating MS status, balance problems or mobility limitations, and poor concentration. In one study, over a three-month period, a cohort of 150 persons with MS recorded 672 falls. Injuries occurred in 11.1% of falls, and six individuals required medical attention. And MS patients have an increased risk of fracture compared to non-MS age-matched populations, and in particular, an increased risk of fragility fractures. With all this in mind, today we will try to address some gems for the varying levels of disability, ranging from those with minor mobility limitations to needing an assist device for ambulation, and even for those who are largely non-ambulatory. So without further ado, here are the gems. First up are service dogs, for those with minor mobility limitations. There have been many studies over the years looking at the benefits, both psychosocial, increasing activity levels, social engagement, and health related, of having a service dog. This was a study of 44 MS patients with gait abnormalities who were able to ambulate safely without an assist device, even if they used one intermittently or on a regular basis and they looked at the effect of walking with a service dog who had been trained to walk beside participants so as not to pull or lag behind and had a special harness with a flexible handle that eliminated the option of leaning on it for support. Each individual performed two sets of the timed 25-foot walk test at a fast but safe speed separated by 15 minutes of rest time. Each set involved one unassisted walk and one walk with the service dog with three minutes of rest time in between. The second set was in the reverse order, walking with the service dog first. And the main outcome was walking speed via the timed 25-foot walk test. And they found a significant difference in mean timed 25-foot walk times, with individuals walking faster with the aid of a service dog compared to walking independently. The study reported no adverse events. It was a small pilot study and there was no reported longitudinal follow-up on falls or real-world application in different terrains or situations. But for those with relatively minor limitations such as slow walking, a well-trained service dog can provide many benefits, including improved walking speeds and mobility. Here I've provided a website where more information on service dogs can be found. Next up is rhythmic auditory stimulation. Timing for gait is processed in many different areas of the central nervous system. MS and other diseases can certainly disrupt this processing. Rhythm has been shown to activate different motor areas of the central nervous system including the cortex, cerebellum, and spinal tract. Rhythmic auditory stimulation is a music therapy technique developed to use rhythm and timing cues to improve the intrinsic rhythmic movements of gait. It works via rhythmic and limit cycle entrainment. Rhythmic auditory stimulation has demonstrated success in improving gait abnormalities in other neurological disorders including Parkinson's disease, stroke, traumatic brain injury, and Huntington's disease. This study of 10 MS patients with gait disturbance randomly assigned them to receive rhythmic auditory stimulation versus no intervention for two weeks. Each participant received an MP3 player with the same eight songs. These were instrumental songs 
produced specifically for the training and covering different genres with beats embedded within the music with increasing beats per minute. Those in the treatment group were instructed to walk to the music 20 minutes per day every day for the following four weeks. Those in the control group received their mp3 player with the headphones the third week and were given the same instructions but for two weeks only. The participants were instructed to walk safely and comfortably and were allowed to break down the 20 minutes into smaller increments if walking continuously for 20 minutes was not feasible. The investigators assessed various measures of gait components as well as walking speed. They found a significant decrease in double support time, trends with medium to high effect sizes for other gait parameters including walking speed. Pulled within group analysis showed significant improvement of cadence, stride length, velocity after one week of treatment. Satisfaction levels with rhythmic auditory stimulation were high. Notably, prolonged double support time is linked with decrease in walking speed and gait stability. So the decrease in double support time, as demonstrated in the study, indicates increased gait stability. There were no adverse events noted in this study, and limitations include that it is a small pilot study, short treatment period, and adherence was limited to patient self-report. But for those with some gait dysfunction, 20 to 30 minutes per day of a home-based walking program with rhythmic auditory stimulation can improve walking. Here I've provided some resources for free online metronomes and examples of music that has been used in rhythmic auditory stimulation. The need for walking assistance is an enormously difficult psychological hurdle for many patients, especially when younger and formerly active and independent. But assist devices can improve mobility, gait, balance, and independence. Trekking poles are an attractive alternative assist device as they offer upright posture, bilateral support for balance, are light but still help with upper extremity strength. This was a study of 25 patients with MS who reported walking difficulty. They were trained in the use of three assist devices, a single point cane, a four point cane, and a trekking pole at one to two week intervals and then asked to use the assist device for their usual activities. They assessed the psychosocial impact of assistive device scale, the six minute walk test, and other measures of gaze such as walking speed, cadence, stride length, as well as fatigue scores. They found that single-point cane and trekking pole were more positive in the adaptability, competence, and self-esteem subscales of the psychosocial impact of assist devices scale, and had higher six-minute walk tests, improved walking speed, cadence, and stride length. No differences were found in fatigue scores. No adverse events were reported. Limitations include that not all patients were naive to the single-point cane, which leads to possible bias in performance or perception of walking, or in psychosocial impact. Also that assistive device use was not closely monitored and the study included only a limited number of different assist devices. But this brings us to our gem. Unilateral or bilateral trekking poles or walking sticks are a viable alternative assist device that are inexpensive, readily available in sports stores, and may be physically and psychologically easier to adopt for patients and promote improve, improved walking posture. I've included a link to learn about Nordic walking, which uses trekking poles and is a great source of exercise. Many individuals who own assistive devices stop using them soon after receiving them, often due to postural and mechanical load effects arising from leaning forward on the device or the effort of lifting or moving the device forward. 
A forearm support, aka upright walker, is a walker with a forearm support attached to the rollator. Using a forearm support attachment has several proposed benefits, including offloading portions of body weight and reducing loads on the lower extremity, wrists, and hands, as well as enabling a more natural upright walking posture, which may lead to multiple benefits like improved posture, dynamic stability, and weight distribution along with increased support during walking. In this study of 30 patients who used a rollator walker as a primary assist device, participants were trained in proper use of a forearm support walker, a standard rollator, and the predicate device that they had used prior, and then performed 6-minute walk test, the 10-meter walk test, 25-meter walk test with each device. They assessed the trunk anterior posterior sway during the 10-meter walk test, oxygen consumption, the mean forearm load offloaded to the elbow support as a percent of body weight, and mean peak hand grip load. What they found was that with the upright walker, there was reduced trunk sway in the anterior posterior direction, there was reduced erector spinae muscle activation, there was improved gait efficiency, and participants offloaded between about offloaded about 40% of their body weight. No adverse events were reported during the study. There were limitations which included cross-sectional design, it wasn't an MS-specific cohort, evaluation was solely on a level surface, and there were no long-term effects to the mechanics and joint health, uh, as well as less day-to-day -day functional assessments. And it's not entirely generalizable as there were limitations on patients who could participate, um, including if their weight exceeded 300 pounds, if their height was less than 5 feet or over 6'3", uh, as well as some cognitive or visual impairments. However, some highlights include that using a forearm support walker led to upright posture, less low back muscle activation, and improved gait efficiency. And these findings have implications for our prescription of assist device. Another study by Coet al. demonstrated that weight bearing on the lower extremities is significantly reduced when the upper extremities are supported during walking with a forearm support walker. And this leads us to our gem, that for patients with more advanced gait dysfunction, a properly fitted upright or forearm support walker may provide improved upright posture, less in low back and upper extremity muscle strain, and improved gait efficiency compared to standard walkers or rolling walkers. Of note, at this time, upright walkers are not readily covered by all insurances, and out-of-pocket costs could range between $500 to $700. Next, we will discuss the standing frame. This is a medical device for more neurologically debilitated patients who are no longer ambulatory to help them stand in a safe and controlled manner with support. Proposed benefits of standing include strengthening anti-gravity muscles, providing prolonged weight-bearing muscle stretch, enhancing respiratory function, and maintaining bone density. This RCT of 140 patients with progressive MS and severe mobility impairment compared benefits of using a standing frame to usual care. Patients had two 60-minute home-based physiotherapy sessions to set up the standing frame program, plus six 15-minute follow-up telephone calls. Participants were asked to stand for 30 minutes three times per week over 20 weeks versus usual care. Motor function was measured by the amended motor club assessment score at 36 weeks.
They found significant increase in motor function compared with usual care alone, although not to the degree that was considered a priori as clinically, clinically meaningful. Regarding adverse events, there was increased musculoskeletal pain in the intervention group, but no serious adverse events. Limitations include questions of cost-effectiveness analysis, the cost of the standing frame per se, and functional day-to-day -day measures. However, it does provide a gem for us in that the use of a home-based self-managed standing frame program could help improve motor function in individuals with progressive multiple sclerosis as well as offer other health benefits. Of note, insurance coverage for standing frames is undetermined. Now I'll close with some honorable mentions, the first of which is Pilates, which is a popular form of low-impact exercise. This study of 30 people with MS not restricted to wheelchair or scooter compared Pilates plus massage therapy versus once weekly massage therapy alone. The Pilates was delivered in a group setting of 5 to 10 participants per session. The primary assessment was walking performance via the 6 minute walk test after 12 weeks with secondary assessments including functional ability via the timed up and go test, balance via the Fullerton advanced balance scale, flexibility, body composition, core endurance, muscle strength. They found that walking distance increased in Pilates group compared to control, and mean time to complete the timed up and go test decreased with Pilates. No adverse events were seen, and limitations did include that not all secondary outcomes were measured by MS-specific tests, and they were unable to assess whether the benefits and mobility were sustained once the intervention was completed. Also worth noting that Pilates may be difficult to self-teach for some patients. But at the end, it does demonstrate that Pilates is a safe, low-impact, effective exercise option for MS patients of various ability levels and can help improve walking balance and mobility. I included a resource for patients who may be interested in trying out Pilates for themselves. Other honorable mentions include home-based active video games for balance and mobility, mirror therapy, tele-rehab guided imagery, AFOs versus perineal nerve functional electrical stimulation devices for drop foot, exoskeleton devices, which is seeing a growing body of literature and while promising may not yet be ready for the mainstream, hippotherapy, aka horseback riding for balance, and tai chi for balance and mobility. On that note, I'll say that I hope you found this edition of our Toolbox series helpful and hope to see you next time. For a full list of references, please watch the narrated slide set on the neurologyhub.com. Thank you to Dr. Zarina and Kister for sharing their knowledge with our listeners in this episode of MS Master's Toolbox. And thanks to you, our listeners. Be sure to visit the neurologyhub.com for more podcasts in the field of multiple sclerosis. MS Master's Toolbox is brought to you by the editors of the Neurology Hub and Practical Neurology.